Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, church. You may be seated. Well, praise the Lord. Such a gift of grace to be able to assemble as the saints, to be able to witness the families that desire to bring their children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And now, how will we respond to grace? That's the question right here. Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. This is the final message in our Jonah series entitled, Jonah, the Portrait of God's Grace. All right, Hope Ottawa, one last time. God's grace. You'll see it on the screen. We got to lock this in. Lots of people here from different backgrounds of what God's grace means. You may be wondering, well, here's a biblical definition that we've been unpacking over the course of this series of God's grace. Here it is. God's grace is God's undeserved favor displayed towards me and motivated by his love for me. There's God's grace. God's undeserved favor displayed towards me and motivated by his love for me. All right, kids, we're going to try this again one more time. You ready? All right, you ready for some good news? Oh, come on, guys. Help me out. Are you ready for some good news? All right. All right, repeat after me. Ready? God is grace. God is great. That's great news. And as such, here's what that means for you and me. At all times and in all things, God only acts with grace towards his creation. To do anything else would be against his very nature. God is grace and as such only acts with grace towards his creation and he demonstrates his grace in everything he does. But the truth of that brings us and confronts us with a question that we answer every single day whether we're aware of it or not. In many times a day. Here's the question. Ready? Ready? How will you respond to God's grace? How will you respond to God's grace in your life as he chooses to display it in his way, in his time? Or how will you respond to God's grace in the life of another? How he chooses to display it in their life. See, there's a problem that you and I face every day. You faced it today many times. You'll face it again tomorrow, as will I. And it is this. Ready for the problem? The problem is pride and unbelief. The problem that we face every day is pride and unbelief. And what do you mean by that? Well, here's what that means for us. Often we don't respond faithfully to God's grace in our lives or the lives of others. There is unbelief in the character of God. In the goodness of God. Anyone ever struggled with the fact that God is good? Well, wait, how can he be good if all this is going on? And what, what in my life, all these trials and suffering, how can you ever struggle with that? I have. Unbelief. Here's one we hear today a lot. Um, unbelief that true justice only comes from God. Anyone struggle with that today? Mm-hmm. Unbelief in the love of God. If God was really loving, why would he have fill in the blank? And we struggle to respond faithfully to God's grace, and often we don't. When God displays his grace, okay, number one, how we want him to. God, I really want this to happen. I really want that job. I really want that degree. I really want the healing. And then he gives it. And you're like, we say with our lips, yeah, praise the Lord. But so often it's like, well, I earned that. I studied real hard. I deserve that. I deserve to have a comfy life. I deserve to have my health. I deserve to have the number of kids I want and the spouse that I want. And I deserve, I deserve, I earned. That's pride, loved ones. Be careful. Careful there. 
or we, or we fail to respond faithfully to God's grace in our lives uh, when he displays his grace, not how we want, but um, how we don't want. God, I didn't want all this to happen over the last two years. And so what happens? Grumble, complain, self-pity, despair, discontent, and you see it all around in the church and outside of the church, division. Or how about this? We often don't respond faithfully to God's grace um, when he displays his grace in the lives of others. They got what I wanted. I wanted the position. I wanted the provision that they got. I wanted the job. I wanted the degree. I wanted the opportunity that that person has that I feel I'm worthy of and better qualified for. And how do we respond there? Anger, jealousy, competition. If I could sum it all up, so often we respond to God's grace, not faithfully, but in pride and not humble praise. And you may be sitting here and you'd be like, well, why is it such a big deal how I respond to God's grace? Isn't it just like, okay, I complain a little bit, no big deal. What, why is it such a big deal if I respond this way? Loved ones, hear the, hear the word of the Lord today. There is so much at stake in how we respond. Number one, without a faithful response, our love for Jesus grows cold. And number two, as a result of the vertical love growing cold, guess what happens? Our love for others grows cold. We will see that very clearly today in our text. And as an overflow of that, there's increased unfruitfulness for the kingdom of God in making disciples, increasing selfishness, as you and I drink the poison of pride into our soul day after day and ultimately leads to despair. And in case you're wondering if this is true, just look around at our society today and you'll see it clear as day. So the question is, how will you respond to God's grace? Here's the big Jonah takeaway. It's the big idea we're going to unpack today, and it is this. You'll see it on the screen. Write it down. God decides how to display his grace. Praise the Lord. God decides how to display his grace and to respond faithfully to it. You must believe in him. You must believe in him. And here in our text today, we're going to see two truths of God we must believe if we are to respond to his grace faithfully and see his glory and power in and through our lives, in the lives of others, and see his kingdom advance for his glory. There is so much at stake, such a timely word under the sovereignty of God for our day. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. Let's do this. We're finishing the book of Jonah, chapter four, verses one to 11. All right, let's read this one voice, church. You ready to go? Jonah, chapter four, verses one to 11. Jonah, all right, kids, get your Bibles out. Here we go, nice and loud, okay? Jonah 4, 1 to 11. Jonah's anger in the Lord's compassion. Verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. 
And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Hear the word of the Lord, all God's people said. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. First thing we see here is this, right from verses one to four, to respond faithfully to God's grace. Here it is. Ready? You must believe the standard of grace is God, not you. To respond faithfully to God's grace in your life, in the life of others, you must believe the standard of grace is God, not you. And the question that's pulled out of these first four verses is this, only God is the standard of grace. But watch this, careful now, happens so subtly. Have you become your standard for who should receive grace and what it should look like? Let's get our context. Here we are in the Arabian Desert on the Tigris River in Assyria, and it is the city of Nineveh. Nineveh is the greatest enemy of Israel at this time. You can see there on the screen, it's what archaeologists believe Nineveh looked like, and there it is, the capital, the royal city of Assyria. And by God's grace, you remember chapter three? Rockin'. By God's grace, Jonah has just preached God's word, declaring that God would destroy Nineveh in 40 days if they didn't repent. And in response, the Ninevites, what do they do? Five-word sermon in the Hebrew, eight in the English. The Ninevites repented of their sin, and a revival has just happened. You'll see it on screen. This is what's going on in Nineveh right now. Just look at that. Awesome. Hey, question. You still believe God can do that? Do our prayers reflect it? Does our fervency reflect it? Come on, Lord, fire that up in us, amen? Revival has just happened, and the entire city has turned to the Lord. It's an amazing picture of the amazing grace of love and compassion of God for his creation. And this should be, like, look at that. This should be a reason to rejoice, should it not? It should be a reason to rejoice. God saves an entire city, 600,000 people, and brings them from death to life. Imagine if that happened in this city right now. Someone, God raises up someone to faithfully proclaim the word. The gospel is preached. Boom, the entire city saved. Would you be rejoicing? I I hope I'm rejoicing, right? Well, but Jonah... This is so sobering. Jonah responds a different way. Did you catch it in the text? Instead of responding in praise, Jonah responds a different way to God's grace towards the Ninevites. Look at one to four, please. Go back to the text. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. I'm just going to read that again. But seeing God's work, how he saved all of the Ninevites, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was in my country? That is Israel. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, look how Jonah's response. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. Kill me. Huh? Kill me. You just saved the entire city. 
kill me. What is going on? For it is better for me to die than live. And, and the Lord said, look at the grace of God right here. Do you do well to be angry, Jonah? Let's unpack this. That's a big wow. See, instead of responding in praise, in humble praise, to God's grace, Jonah responds in pride through a temper tantrum. In verse 1 there, the phrase, um, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Here's what it means. Uh, It means Jonah was thinking it was exceedingly evil what happened. He's thinking God sinned. It was evil what God did. Wicked. In saving the entire city. And he gets angry. Now the term anger there isn't like a little flash in a pan. Oh, oh, okay, I'm okay, I'm good now. Actually, the Hebrew for the term angry there means this, to burn with anger. Seething. Furious at God and his grace towards the Ninevites. And then look at verses two and three, go back to the text. It says Jonah prays. Jonah's yelling. He's yelling at God in the form of a prayer. It's not kind, it's not reverent, it's just full-on anger. Saying, notice the text, read it. Lord, didn't, didn't I tell you this would happen, God? Didn't I tell you? You're gonna save everybody? Did I tell you? This is why I wanted to run to Tarshish. This is why I didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. Notice what he knows about God in the text. Look at this. This is where you can know all the right things. You can say all the right things, but where is your heart really at when it comes to the Lord? Praise you for your grace, God. Here it is. Notice his theology right here is very right. Look at this. He says, I know that you're a God of grace, so you would be gracious to them. I knew you were merciful. The word merciful there is compassionate, not giving them the punishment they deserve, so you would show mercy. I knew you were slow to anger. I knew you were abounding in steadfast love, so you would relent from destroying them when they turn to you. I, notice what Jonah is saying right here. I am furious at who you are. He just unpacked very beautifully God's character. He says, I'm furious at you for that. God of grace, mercy, love, patience. I'm angry. And I'm furious at how you act toward these people, these pagans, these enemies in light of that character. See, God, here's here's what Jonah is saying right here. I wanted them to suffer. I wanted the Ninevites to suffer as we, the people of Israel, have suffered at their hands. Don't forget, Nineveh was Israel's number, numero uno enemy. Don't you remember the raids that came in, God? Don't you remember the Israelites that were killed, God? Don't you remember the pillaging and plundering, God? I wanted them to suffer, not be saved. I, here's what Jonah's saying. He sees what God does. He sees God's character. He goes, I wanted you to bring true justice. True justice doesn't look like salvation. True justice looks like destruction. Make them pay. Does that sound familiar today? Welcome to the 21st century. Make them pay, God, for what they've done to me. And, and, and if you're not going to do that, notice the text, if you're not going to do that, then please, just, just kill me, will you? Because I would rather be dead than see my enemy experience your grace. Wipe me out. I'm done. I'm not serving you. I'm just done. Here I am trying to serve you, and they're just going saving the enemy. And then look at how Jonah is just drinking the poison of pride here, isn't he? And so do you and I when we respond this way. The poison of pride. 
And then, and then God, look how he answers Jonah in verse four. Go back to the text, verse four. I love God's gracious response here. This is not scolding. He says this, um, Jonah, do you, do you do well to be angry? I could translate that saying it this way. Is, is it right for you, Jonah, to be angry at how I display my grace towards my creation? Are you sure you, you have the right to be angry? Are you sure? Are you sure? How about us today? Do you have the right to be angry? Are you sure about that? Who's your standard for what grace should look like? What true justice should look like? What love should look like? And mercy should look like? Who's your standard? Do you do well to be angry, really? What happened here? Here's what happened. See, it's so clearly from the text. Jonah has made himself the standard for what God's grace and justice and mercy and compassion should look like in his life and in the life of another. Jonah made himself the standard. See, in Jonah's mind, God should have destroyed the Ninevites. That would have been true justice. I know what true justice is. Destruction. He's the standard. See, God should not have been gracious. Why? Because they were pagans. They didn't fear the Lord. And Israel, and Jonah included, should be the recipients. We should receive your grace and compassion, God. I mean, we're your chosen people, not them. The, the people of Israel were the ones who were superior, right? Doing things better, although not much. Working harder. The people of Israel were the standard for who God should show his grace to. And if anyone else were to receive God's grace, they would at least have to be as good as them. I'm better than them. I deserve grace. They don't. Uh, welcome to the battlefield of the heart, loved ones. <sighs> Drinking the poison of pride. One commentator said it this way. Do you see what happened there in these first four verses? One commentator said it this way. He goes, this is depravity at its finest. Depravity at its finest. In pride, in selfishness, in self-pity. Notice what's happening. The created Jonah is accusing the creator of sinning. That is depravity at its finest. assaulting God's character. Whom he, notice back in verse two, whom he's already declared to be the Lord of all. The standard of justice. He just declared it. You're the standard. Your steadfast love. You're gracious. You're merciful. Your forgiveness. Your love. Now, no, no. Notice what's, and we get the same way. Go, if you look back in chapter two, these are the very same attributes Jonah was praising God for when God rescued him and showed him his grace to get him out of the water. These are the very same ones Jonah's praising. Oh, for me, yes. For them, no. I'm angry, Lord. I want, look at, here's what Jonah's saying. I want you, God, as the standard of grace in my life but not as the standard of grace in theirs. I want to be that. I want to determine how you should work there. That's dangerous. That's a dangerous place, and we've all been there. Maybe you're there right now, and you will be tempted to go there again tomorrow. See, how much of the division, loved ones, let's bring it into today. How much of the division in our society and across the church, in homes, in marriages, and so many other places, is the result of our standards and our expectations not being met for what true justice and grace should look like in our lives and the lives of those around us. How much of that division is caused by that? Of us being the standard of what should happen to others. We get angry because God's grace isn't functioning like we want or expect it to. Mandates? No thanks. 
Masks? I'm not wearing one of those. No way. Whose side are you on? Dig in. Are you in my camp? If not, I'm going to cancel you out. Cancel culture. Freedoms we want to have. How can God be acting graciously here? Comfort level that we want. We respond when God shows his grace in other lives, how we want him to show it in ours. That one, that guy got the opportunity I wanted. I'm way more qualified than this. He, they got the spout, what? They got the pay raise? They're growing in their walk with the Lord way faster. Mine, they haven't even been saved as long. What's going on? We are a divided society, loved ones, in large part due to the fact that we've made ourselves the standard for how grace should be given and who is worthy to have it. You think Jonah's unified with the Ninevites here? No. It's division. And this is the mindset of our society. If you agree with me, if you're in my camp, you deserve grace. If you don't, you're canceled. If you are in my camp, then you understand and get the standard of true justice, what it should look like. If not, you're against me. See ya. You see it all around us. Just turn on the news. And, and can, I, can I encourage us with this? Um, when you become your standard for grace, you will begin to keep score for who's worthy of grace. When you become your standard for grace, you will begin to keep score for who is worthy of grace. And hey, can I encourage us in this church? Um, grace is only hard to give when you're keeping score. Grace is only hard to give when you're keeping score. Look what they've done. See, only God is the standard of grace. Hey, loved one, time to get real before the Lord right now. Have you become your standard? You say, well, wait a second. I want this to be super helpful, loved ones. This is so freeing, this truth. How do we know if we've become our standard? What are some of the fruits of this? Here's the first one. You get angry at God's grace towards others. Often we find ourselves, even subtly, maybe not, at this, not externally, but inwardly, ah, rejoicing when others are weeping. And weeping when others are rejoicing. I wanted that. They shouldn't have that. We get angry when we see God's grace in the life of another. Here's another one. How do we know? What's the fruit that we've become our own standard for grace? Here it is. Entitlement or anger at God's grace towards you. For example, God blesses you with a provision. How are we thanking him in recognition of that? Or is it, well, I earned that. I deserve that. Are we thanking him? Thanklessness, a lack of gratitude, is a fruit of pride that we have become a standard. Here it is, here it is, another one. Anger at God's grace towards you, uh, unwilling to humble yourself. And another one, complaining. Parents, I just love child dedications. I saw this, but um, are you fighting the temptation to complain about your kids when they don't obey you? Whose standard are you using for how to show grace there? Okay, here, here's the third one, ready? How do you know if you've become your standard for grace? You're unwilling to extend grace towards those who are different from you or those who have hurt you. Well, that person hurt me. I want them to suffer. Welcome to Jonah. They have a different skin color. I'm going to treat them differently. A different background. A different opinion. Hey, loved ones. Hey, loved ones, I know this is like a heart surgery right now, and I want to encourage us out of love for you and a love for God's word. We need to repent and humble ourselves of, about making ourselves the standard. We need to repent 
and submit ourselves to God and cry out to him for greater faith and obedience to believe in his character, in his wisdom, in his sovereignty, faithfulness, and love, and extend it to others in his name by his power to see him draw others to himself. Even when your expectations for how grace should go are not met. To respond faithfully to God's grace, you must believe the standard of grace is God, not you. And from this final point today, you must believe the motive for grace. Ready? The motive for grace is love, not merit. Love, not merit. God's motive for grace is his love and not your merit. Do you recall what you deserve? Do you recall what you deserve. Let's look. Verse five, keep going. Jonah went out of the city, so he doesn't answer the Lord. He doesn't answer his question. Did you catch that in the text? Go into your Bibles. He doesn't answer the Lord. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. See, instead of answering God's question, Jonah leaves Nineveh. He left, there's a revival going on, and the prophet of God leaves. He leaves, and he heads east and makes a booth. The word for booth there is the Hebrew word is sukkah. It's the same type of structure. You'll see it on the screen there. It's the same type of structure the Israelites made in the wilderness. Okay, a sukkah for himself. Why do he do this? To sit in it that would shade him from the sun so that he could see what would happen to Nineveh. And you're like, oh, wait a second, maybe he's just hanging around to offer some help. No, 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 Jonah's sitting there to see if God would change his mind and hoping he would do so. Let's see if God really wants to be merciful. I just, come on. Now, here's the key. Here's the key we need to see from verse five. Instead, look at this, 600,000 people repented. Brand new in following the Lord. No idea how to be faithful to the Lord from here. And notice this, instead of ministering to the hundreds of thousands who just turned to the Lord, who needed instruction on how to follow him, Jonah, the only guy who could help them, what does he do? He leaves the city in his self-pity, builds a booth to pout in, and misses the ministry moment that God put right in front of him. There's people crying out to know how to follow the Lord, and he's having a pity party in a sukkah. Because God's grace didn't look like he wanted it to in that life or in his life. See, here, here's the question for us from verse 5. How many of us are missing the ministry moment to glorify the Lord because you're grumbling, discontent, and filled with self-pity that God's grace in your life and in others doesn't look like you wanted it to. Are you missing the ministry moment because you're just drinking the poison of pride? Oh no, I can't. can't minister to them. They hurt me. I can't do that. Careful, loved ones. Let's take it before the Lord. See, here's what we have to understand. You'll see this on the screen. The Great Commission, that is the call for every Christian to go and make disciples, calls us to grace-filled ministry, not gripe-filled misery. The call of the Great Commission is for grace-filled ministry, not gripe-filled misery. God's not working how I want him to, so I'm checking out. Until God gets on my plan, then I'll go back in. Hey, question. Are you building your booth with your families? Are you building your booth in the ministry that God has entrusted to you or the opportunity that he's put in front of you? Are you just missing the moment because you want something else? You're mad that you don't have it. Verses six to eight, look what happens next. Keep going. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. All right, praise the Lord. Things are looking up, right? I got a plant now. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed, there's that word again, that means picture of God's sovereignty, appointed a worm 
that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, oh, here goes God again, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that, here it goes again, that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. You see what happened there? Three terms, circle the word appointed in those verses three times. God, out of his sovereign mercy and grace toward Jonah, appoints. The word appoint in the Hebrew means provides. A plant. Now, what kind of plant was this? Most likely, in the Hebrew, closely resembles what's called a castor oil plant. You'll see it on the screen. A castor oil plant known for their large leaves that give a lot of shade. Okay, now notice, God appoints this plant in his sovereignty and power over creation. Awesome. Everyone say awesome. He appoints the plant at this exact spot where Jonah is sulking on the hill. At this exact time to spring up in one day to shade Jonah from the heat of the sun. Did you notice that in the text? And Jonah, what's his response? He's exceedingly glad that God had grace and mercy on him. Oh yeah, I'm loving God's grace. I'm exceedingly glad. Notice this, he goes from being exceedingly mad in verse one to exceedingly glad right here. When exceedingly mad when God's grace is shown to the Ninevites, exceedingly glad when it's shown to him. See it? And notice why God did this. Did you catch it, loved ones? Okay, eyes up here. Did you catch it? Verse six. To save him from his discomfort. The Hebrew word for discomfort there is, go to the bottom of your Bible, page on your Bible. Did you see it? Superscript. It means to save Jonah from his evil. There's evil festering in Jonah's heart. God appoints the scorching east wind, just like he appointed the tempest to save Jonah from his evil. God, out of his grace and love towards Jonah, is now giving him an object lesson to draw out Jonah's heart and reveal the evil and self-centeredness, the pride and lack of love in Jonah for God and for the lost. And did you see Jonah's response here? Jonah is more pleased about a plant that comforted him than a revival of over 120,000 people. Did you see it? This is Soul Care School in session. And like us today, listen, hear this, hear this. Like us today, many times God uses circumstances in our lives to draw out and reveal what's really in the heart so we can see it and repent and return to him and have life. Stop drinking the poison of pride. Now look, the truth here is God will often withhold what we want to give us what we need. And look what happens in seven and eight. Sorry, nine to 11. But God said to Jonah, here it is again, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And here's Jonah's response now. Yes, I do well. Live in the text. Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. The sun's baking on my head. I've lost my sukkah. My plant died. Your worm, it burrowed in and killed it. And plus, the Ninevites are still alive. It's a bad day. I deserve to die. Please, I've had enough. And the Lord said, hey, Jonah, love you. You pity the plant. You pity the plant that you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Look what God's saying there. He goes, you don't even have a history with this plant. It's like, you, you've known it for a day. What are you talking about, Jonah? And he goes, and should I not pity Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. See what God says right there? Hear the grace of God in this voice. God responds and he says this. <laughs> Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Do you have any right to be angry about losing that? And Jonah, trying to justify himself, says, yes, yes, I do. You bet. You took away my plant. Save the enemies. I have every right to be angry. I deserve, here it is. I deserve more than this. 
When I deserve starts to come into your vocabulary in relation to this, that is a fruit to watch out for. I'm entitled to get that plant. I'm entitled to see Nineveh destroyed. I deserve more than this. And then, and then notice what God does. God gives the lesson to Jonah in verses 10 and 11. Here's the object lesson. The same lesson for us today. He goes, you pity the plant, Jonah. That means you have more love and compassion and passion about a plant. That I, out of my grace and mercy and love for you, gave to you. You didn't do anything to earn the plant. Do you see what he says right there in the text? You did not do anything to earn this plant. It was out of my grace and mercy and love I gave it to you. It does, hey, he says, you pity a plant? It doesn't even have a soul. It's an object. It's an object. And you have more compassion for your object than the entire city of Nineveh that was going to hell. Everyone say, ouch. Hear the word of the Lord. This is, listen, listen. If you're saved in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation for you. Just hear the word of the Lord. And let's get real and say, Lord, that's so often me. Help me. Help me. He says, let me, just, let me just help us with this. So often we're more passionate about self and things that God gives us or that we want him to give us than the souls that he's entrusted to us right around us. I mean, we get more fired up about a cracked iPhone screen or about the wrong coffee order in the coffee shop or being cut off in traffic than we do the fact that our neighbors, if they don't receive Jesus Christ, are going to hell. Well, my comfort level, oh, I'm too tired. We get more fired up about that than the mission God has given us to go and make disciples. Have you, have you seen what's going on in our city lately? Are you fired up to reach the lost and to pray for revival and to live on mission? Or are we still building our booths and having more pity for our plants? I want the house. I want, hey, I want this. I didn't get the house. Yeah, but, but you have an opportunity to minister to your neighbor. And look at what God says here. So gracious, so gracious. Here it is in verse 11. God says, should I not pity? That means have compassion on and love for and mercy towards the people of Nineveh who I have known. Listen to this. You've known that little plant for a day, Jonah. I've known the people of Nineveh before time began. And unlike you with the plant, Jonah, I created each one of those people who you want to see destroyed in my image. Welcome to the object lesson. In my image. And I love them. I love them, Jonah. You may not like them. I love them. You might not agree with them but I love them. Whether they have a vaccine or not, I love them. And they're made in my image. And I long for them to come to me, Jonah. You have more compassion for a plant or an object than for the people of Nineveh who has over 120,000 souls who do not know their right hand from their left. What that means is their inability to make right judgments because of their ignorance. They didn't know God. They couldn't make the decisions and they were headed to hell for eternity unless God intervened. And he says, and Jonah, notice this. I always wondered why this, and also much cattle. Do you see that at the very end, last words of the book? And also much cattle. Here's, here's what God says, object lesson. And Jonah, if you won't care about the people, and, and if you continue to love things over them, will you at least care about the cattle that would die just like your plant? At least care about the cattle if you're so focused on objects. 
if not the people. And there it ends. There the book ends. You know, it's just that there's no closure. We actually don't know how Jonah answered from here. We have no idea. The book just ends. We don't know if Jonah got the lesson God was trying to teach him. And we had no idea what happened after this. Why? Because God is asking you and I the same question today, how we'll answer it. Do you do well to be angry? Do you pity the plant more than the soul? Are you more passionate about getting the things of this world that were made? See, so much of this world's chaos is caused because things were made to be used, but people were made to be loved. But it has been reversed where we love things and use people. Do you do well to be angry? Loved one, do I? Do you pity the plant more than the soul? He leaves us to answer the question. And the lesson for Jonah and the lesson for us is that Jonah's thinking that Nineveh didn't earn God's grace. So they didn't deserve God's grace. But God says, Jonah, you didn't earn or deserve the plant. I graciously, compassionately gave it to you out of my love for you. Jonah, Nineveh didn't earn salvation. My love and my grace and compassion towards them. But listen, listen to this. Listen to this today, loved ones. God says, my love for them is greater than their rebellion against me. I'll say it again. My love for them is greater than their rebellion against me. Do, here's what he's saying. Do you remember what you really deserve, Jonah? Do you remember? You didn't deserve that plant. Do you, do you remember what you really deserve? Do you recall my love and grace extended to you? And will that be enough for you to live by my saving grace and proclaim it to others on your lips and in your life that they may know it and be saved whether you think they've earned it in your eyes or not? God's motive for his grace is his love not your merit. Hey, question for us today. Same question. Do you recall what you deserve? Apart from the saving grace of God. See, all of us deserve, let's break this down, make it really clear as we close out. All of us deserve to spend eternity separated from God in hell. That's what we deserve. No lattes, no comfortable life, no job promotions, no degrees, hell. Separated from the presence of God. That's what we deserve. Eternal punishment for our sin. Romans 5, you say, how do you know? Romans 5, 8, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And as such, there is none that can get to God on their own merit. There is none righteous. But God made a way for us to be with him. Just like he made a way for the Ninevites to come, God made a way for us. And it's right here, John 3.16. You'll see it on the screen. I love it. For God so loved the world, the same love that he showed toward the Ninevites. God so loved the world that he gave the gift of his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And if you're here and you have never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal savior, it is God's appointed you to be in this place to hear the saving truth of the gospel. And his call is to repent and believe in Jesus Christ as your personal savior and you will be saved. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, for it is by grace, the same saving grace, it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your doing. It's not your merit. You didn't earn the plant, Jonah, and you cannot earn salvation today, loved one. It is not your doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Hey, 
You say, well, my, I've gone too far. No, no, no. No heart is too hard. No place is too far for God's relentless grace to not save you. Amen? Come on, let's say that. That's good news. Amen? Amen. Hey, and brothers and sisters in Christ, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Brothers and sisters, here's our challenge. Do you recall, are you living with the recall of what you deserve apart from Jesus? You were his enemy. You had no interest in him. You were headed for hell, and he saved you out of his grace and love for you. And with this, every, get this, with this, everything you have is only out of his mercy and grace towards you. Here it is and you don't deserve to have it. Those kids you have, love them. You don't deserve them. The job you have, you don't deserve it. The ministry we have, Corinthians is very clear, it is by the mercy of God. Whether you're in the parking lot or in the pulpit, it's by the mercy of God. And you don't deserve it. So here's the thing. Are you daily taking time to remember the goodness of God towards you, the grace of God towards you. And will you respond faithfully to God's grace, believing he's the standard, not you, and that his motive for grace is love and not merit? Is that your motive in how you extend his grace by his power to others, or do they have to measure up? Loved ones, ask Jesus. Cry out to him for greater love for him and for those around you. And ask him for faith to live in light of eternity and what he, by his grace, has saved you from. Why? We close the series with this. Write this down. When you remember what you deserve apart from Jesus, you can't help but proclaim the grace of Jesus. I'll say it again, and we go to our response. When you remember what you deserve apart from Jesus, you can't help but proclaim the grace and love and goodness and mercy of Jesus. Question, Hope Ottawa, will you stand with me right now? Stand up right now as we respond. Here we go. Final question of the series. Right here. Eyes up. Love seeing you kids. How will you respond to grace? How will you respond to grace? Lord Jesus Christ, we need you. Lord Jesus, even preaching this right now, so convicted. Forgive me for when I make myself the standard of grace that you should show to others. Forgive us, O Lord for expecting others to earn before we give grace. Thank you so much for your amazing grace that does not do that with us, that saved a wretch like me, not out of my merit, but out of your great love. And Lord, help us to remember what we truly deserve and make your grace, your saving grace over our lives, your continual pouring out of grace that much sweeter that we can't help but proclaim that to those around us. And would you move us on mission here? No more sitting in the sukkah, fervent, going forth and making disciples through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and for the glory of his name. Church, if you agree, say amen. 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 Let's respond in song.